Good afternoon. This is Dr. Dan Guerra coming to you from Authentic Biochemistry Studios. Today is the 27th day of August in the years. Yep, it's still 2021. So uh, what we're going to do today is uh, continue on with the glycolytic pathway because I want to get uh, into some detail about enzymatic reactivity. This is important because if you're to understand how aging and the immune system uh, interact together to develop morbidity and mortality, it's important for you to understand how enzymatic reactions actually work at the level of thermodynamics and also at the level of mechanism. And the reason that is, I think, will become clear as we get into it. But uh, primarily, it's because if you're to understand how metabolism is linked to physiology, you have to get one level below that and understand the chemical synthesis and degradation of organic compounds that occur in the cell, which are nothing like what really happens in a biochemical pathway. And this comparing and contrasting straightforward chemistry, organic chemistry with biochemistry, hopefully will lead some of you to realize that um, if you're to consider a discipline in the sciences, I really would encourage you to consider biochemistry. Now, in order to be able to do well in my field, you have to have a good command of chemistry and a almost super command of biological systems. By super command, I mean understanding physiology and how physiology and anatomy work together. Once you've mastered those uh, disciplines, I think you might be prepared to start uh, a program, a graduate program in biochemistry. And I am actually encouraging people to do that. Anybody that's interested in getting any initial um, directions for that, including summary sort of lectures to give you a background in biochemistry, uh, just contact me at djgphd at gmail.com, and I'd be willing to uh, work with you. All right, so that's just a brief introduction. What I want to do today is talk about some mechanistic interactions of the enzyme known as glyceraldehyde 3-phosphate to dehydrogenase. Now, that's basically the sixth reaction in glycolysis, and it involves an oxidation and a phosphorylation of glyceraldehyde 3-phosphate, which, remember, was one of the products of the aldolase reaction. Um, you're also going to be re uh, reducing NAD, and, of course, inorganic phosphate is going to be involved in the reaction. Um, now, gap dehydrogenase we know can be inactivated by alkylation. And all you need is a stoichiometric amount of the organic compound known as iodoacetate. So also we know that in the presence of carboxymethylcysteine, um, you get um, the alkylated enzyme produced. Now that suggests, therefore, by doing that kind of organic chemistry in the test tube, that gap dehydrogenase must have an active cysteine sulfhydryl functional group, and indeed it does. So let's go through this reaction um, kind of in slow motion so that you understand it. First of all, glyceraldehyde 3-phosphate binds to the enzyme. The, then a, something is generated called a thiohemiacetal. And this is because of the sulfur atom associated with the cysteine, which is part of the enzyme um, uh, primary structure. 
So what you get then is that the sulfhydryl group acts as a nucleophile and it attacks the aldehyde functional group, fungoceraldehyde, 3-phosphate. And that's when you form acetal. Uh, the next reaction is going to be that acetal will undergo the, its oxidation to an intermediate, which is basically an acyl intermediate. So the energy of the aldehyde oxidation, uh, unfortunately, does not is not dissipated, but it's been conserved through the synthesis of the thioester, and then the reduction of the NADH. I say. Unfortunately, it's because if it were, then the reaction itself would proceed uh, much more quickly just at the organic level, that is the organic chemical level. So the enzyme itself has to help that along. I think that'll become clear in a moment what I mean by that. So uh, that's all like a prolegomena to the actual lecture, which I'm, with actual um, intermediates I'm going to discover with you. So... <clears throat> Glyceraldehyde-3-phosphate dehydrogenase will take glyceraldehyde-3-phosphate and NAD and inorganic phosphate and then make 1,3-bis-PGA. Remember this reaction now. You're also going to be making NADH, which can then be shuttled, not directly, but indirectly via the maleate aspartate shuttle, for example, or the glycerol-3-phosphate shuttle to move that reducing equivalent NADH from the, DH from the cytosol to the mitochondria where it can be used to be reoxidized and the electron transport chain ultimately make ATP. Remember, this is all glycolysis. Just about every cell that exists has glycolysis and molecular oxygen is necessary for this pathway. Sense is strict to, okay? So let's go now to the next detail. So you start off with the aldehyde and you do an oxidation. And basically in that process, you're reacting NAD and water. So you're making NADH in a proton, but you're turning the aldehyde into an alcohol. That alcohol then, that carbon bond to that OH group and then double bonded to oxygen, will react directly with the inorganic phosphate, and you'll make what's known as an acyl phosphate. That acyl phosphate then will include a dehydration of the glycerol backbone, and you'll end up with the product 1,3-bis-PGA, and of course, water, okay? So that's the way that the reaction proceeds. Now, if you look, think about um, how much free energy change that has to um, assimilate in order for that reaction to occur, this is what I was saying before about, about the necessity of the enzyme and the unfortunate aspect of the enzymes needed. Now, why I say unfortunate it's it's obviously a biochemical joke because biochemistry is full of protein and indeed in some instances RNA and lipid catalysts. When I say unfortunate, I mean that if organic chemistry could handle all these reactions, likely you wouldn't have it adapted into a cell with catalysts like enzymes that of course would require a nucleic acid to be able to be the codon that would ultimately make the polypeptide that would then form the enzyme with the appropriate reactive centers to be able to facilitate the conversion of the reactant to the product. So we're back to discussing free energy. So imagine a free, imagine a free energy curve where free energy is on the y-axis, increasing as you go up the axis. And the reaction progressing on the x-axis, again, from left to right, is just uh, conventional. So you start off with the enzyme reactants, and you do that oxidation, I told you about. 
And then you have this acyl phosphate formation. Now, that's a great drop in the delta G double dagger. It's a great drop. And that means free energy is going to be greatly reduced. Now, that trough has to be pulled back out of in order to make the products. In this case, of course, NADH and uh, 1,3-BIS-PGA. So how is that huge free energy change, a huge delta G double dagger, uh, become facilitated? Well, we can look at it a different way. Imagine the enzyme then with its free SH group, and remember it associated with NAD+, the oxidized form of any nicotinamide uh, dinucleotide. So you get coming with the aldehyde. Now the aldehyde, again, for those of you that forget your chemistry, is a carbon double bonded to oxygen, and then also bound to hydrogen and some R group. Okay, so that's an aldehyde functional group. Now you're going to get what's known as a condensation. That's when you make this thiohemiacetal. So the, what this is going to look like is carbon's going to be bound to the sulfur atom of the cysteine of the enzyme backbone. It's going to also be bound to the hydroxyl group, a hydrogen, and also the R group, which is the rest of the glycerol molecule. Now, what will happen on that enzyme-bound complex associated with the NAD+, will get what we call an internal oxidoreduction. And now you go from a thiohemiacetal to a thioester. That's simply sulfur bound to a carbonyl that is carbon double bonded to oxygen and then the R group, which is the rest of the glycerol. But in the meantime, you've also synthesized NADH, also all associated with the enzyme backbone. Then you get the acyl transfer. So now you've got the thioester. The thioester can pick up the free phosphate and now you form the product which is 1,3-BIS-PGA, and that's released. Once that acyl transfer occurs, you're left again with the reduced sulfhydryl on the cysteine residue, but NADH is still associated with the enzyme surface. The NADH is now displaced by NAD+, because of the conformational change of the enzyme. Remember, we're talking about gap dehydrogenase. So NAD loads onto the enzyme, and NADH leaves, and so you're finished with the reaction. So that gives you not the most uh, granular level of an enzymatic mechanism, but it gets to like maybe stage two or three in a very deep process of biochemical lecture series that we would do if we were doing this uh, in full graduate uh, mode, two semesters uh, in a large lecture hall. So let me explain to you that what has happened there, that thioester intermediate that we generated, that erupted in the middle of that reaction because of the enzyme catalyst having that sulfhydryl, greatly reduced the drop in free energy that would be necessary to move through that reaction progressively. So the thioester intermediate has itself a very high free energy status which we always talk about when we talk about thioesters like in fatty acid metabolism, we always talk about the high reactivity of the thioester, right? Such as uh, acyl-CoA's, acyl-ACP's during fatty acid uh, metabolism or fatty acid biosynthesis uh, with the latter being acyl carrier protein associated thioesters. Having that member of phosphopantothiene group that have been donated from coenzyme A during biosynthesis of the protein, picking up that prosthetic group. So that means then that the thioester intermediate and the acyl phosphate formation 
the amount of free energy differential is much, much less. And that means it's, it's reduced in its amplitude. And because of that, going to enzyme products after the nasal phosphate formation will be a very simple pathway, right? So that means that the free energy will have been adjusted by the enzyme complex thioester chemistry, such that that thioester will then um, make this reaction move much more rapidly in what we would consider the forward, which is going from one through uh, from three PGA to uh, 1,3-bisphosphoglyceric acid and NADH, which is, again, an enzyme in the glycolytic pathway. So, again, once we make 1,3-bis-PGA, then the next enzyme is phosphoglycerate kinase. So you'll take 1,3-bis-PGA. Remember, the phosphate's now on the 1 and 3 carbon of a glycerol backbone. You're going to react it with ADP and a proton, uh, which will be delivered through, through water, of course. Uh, and that kinase will then make three phosphoglyceric acid and, yeah, a group level phosphorylation because you made that high energy phosphate intermediate, that acyl phosphate intermediate. You transfer that phosphate now directly on ADP and you've made ATP. So that's an ATP synthesis in glycolysis, one of the uh, significant um, contributions of glycolysis, of course, in, when oxygen is no longer. Uh, um, available or when you have cells that only carry out glycolysis and can't do the tricarboxylic acid cycle associated with functional electron transport and oxidative phosphorylation or beta oxidation of fatty acids either. So once you've made, uh, so, so the next series of reactions are going to be 3-PGA. We already talked about this. Now we're going to talk about, we're not going to talk about 2-3-BIS-PGA. We're not going to get into that. We did it last time. This mutase is just going to, just going to yield up from 3-PGA to 2-PGA. We just move that phosphate from the third carbon, phosphate ester from third carbon to the second carbon. That's an OP, that's an OPO3, two minus. That's what the phosphate looks like on that carbon. Now what you're going to be able to do is the enolase reaction is going to remove water from 2-PGA and you're going to end up with phosphoenol pyruvate so that is going to yield in the pyruvate kinase reaction, pyruvate. So 3-PGA to 2-PGA to PEP after that removal of water, leaving that double bond uh, between a carbon-3 and carbon-2, and so that phosphate ester. And that phosphate ester now is going to be highly labile, and you'll do another group-level phosphorylation this time again with ADP and make ATP during the pyruvic kinase reaction, and you end up with pyruvic acid, which is in some ways the end of the normal glycolytic pathway because pyruvate then has multiple fates. Remember, you can make lactate, uh, it can make alanine, it can make oxaloacetic acid, and it can make acetyl-CoA, for example. All right. Now, one uh, little interesting thing, when you think about arsenic, and why arsenic is a toxin. The main reason it's a toxin is because if you have arsenate, which is HASO42 minus, and you react it with glyceraldehyde 3-phosphate in the presence of NAD, you will make NADH, but you'll make one also one arsenato 3-phosphodeglycerate. So the arsenate is now added to that carbon one position. 
Then you get a spontaneous hydrolysis where the arsenate is dropped back off and you end up with three phosphoglyceric acid and free arsenate. Now, the problem with that is that with sufficient amounts of arsenic, you will then lock up that enzyme. Locking up that enzyme, those other three phosphate dehydrogenase, will then kill the cell. This is one of the ways that arsenic just uh, kills, um, is, a, is a poison. All right. Now, phosphorylpyruvate, when you make that phosphorylation to ADP to ATP, you're going to leave pyruvate in the enol form, but that will spontaneously configure to pyruvic acid. Uh, so you'll end up with a carboxylic acid, which is a negative charge, which is going to be linked to carbon-2, and then a hydroxyl group also on that carbon-2, and then the third carbon will be completely protonated. And then that would be the enol form because you have the OH group. But then you're going to spontaneously still leave that carboxylic acid in the one position. It's going to still have a negative charge. But then you're going to leave left with the keto function of the two carbon and then the methyl group then at carbon three. And that is what pyruvic acid is. All right. So one of the fates of pyruvate that we don't normally talk about in terms of metabolism because it involves a synthesis of a toxin that doesn't occur in mammalian cells, is pyruvic acid being converted to ethanol. Now, of course, this occurs in ethanolic fermentation, which is how people make alcoholic beverages uh, in presence of yeast, for example. So, and that's essentially the um, microorganism that allows for the ultimate oxidation processes that lead from pyruvic acid after uh, starting off with glucose, that is some sugar. Uh, usually it's sucrose if it has plant-derived, but sucrose is disaccharide of glucose and fructose. You can take that sucrose and convert it to ethanol at some percent uh, during the fermentation process. And that percent then is dictated by when the yeast is killed off by the high alcohol content. Anyways, pyruvic acid can also be converted to ethanol. So let's think about this. So pyruvate can go after a decarboxylation to acetaldehyde. And it's the acetaldehyde that will be converted to ethanol. Okay. So decarboxylation of pyruvate to acetaldehyde. And then you'll take NADH to NAD. So that's going to be a reduction of the aldehyde to the alcohol. And then you, of course, will oxidize NADH to NAD+. Remember, though, that pyruvate can also react with NADH to make lactate and NAD, or it can be otherwise decarboxylated to make acetyl-CoA, so not acetaldehyde, but acetyl-CoA, and you know that that then will enter into the TCA cycle, one of its uh, functional fates. So... Pyruvate carbo decarboxylase will produce acetaldehyde. Then the alcohol dehydrogenase will make ethanol. That second reaction, ADH, alcohol dehydrogenase, is actually uh, freely reversible. So when you take in ethanol, the alcohol dehydrogenase will actually synthesize acetaldehyde. And therein lies a lot of the neurotoxicity, I might add. So... We know all about lactic acid dehydrogenase, so we're not going to really belabor that. <clears throat> Let's talk more about this ethanolic fermentation couple 
which is going to be linking NADA and NADH ratios. So let's go back to glycerol-3-phosphate. Remember that dehydrogenase is going to be taking PI and NAD+, making NADH and 1,3-bis-PGA. Several reactions later, you got pyruvate. We just went through those. You decarboxylate to acid aldehyde. And then that alcohol dehydrogenase moving in the forward reaction to make ethanol is going to make NAD. Now that NAD can be used in the glycerol di-3-phosphate dehydrogenase reaction. So that means now you have the oxidized form, which can drive more ethanolic fermentation to understand. Now, when the reaction occurs in the other direction and you make NADH, right? And so that means ethanol to acid aldehyde when you ingest ethanol, that NADH actually will be uh, uh, will inhibit the glycerol that 3 phosphate dehydrogenase unless it's removed via oxidation in some other pathway. Now, why would that happen? Because the product of glycerol that 3 phosphate dehydrogenase isn't just 1,3-bis-PGA, it's also NADH. So you can get an inhibition of the gap dehydrogenase when you consume ethanol, right? So you understand how some of these processes may be working. The reason I'm telling you that is because that means the fate of the acid aldehyde will ultimately lead to lipogenesis in the human who mistakenly thinks that drinking ethanol is a good idea, which of course it is not. All right. Now, a little bit about hexokinase and glucokinase. Now, remember that in the liver, you've got two different enzymes which will phosphorylate glucose. You have hexokinase, which will give you straight up hyperbolic kinetics. So as you increase the amount of glucose concentration, your relative enzyme activity will increase rapidly at very low glucose concentrations and then will plateau out somewhere around one millimolar glucose. The glucokinase, which is unique to the liver and some, uh, and some, cell, some other cells, the, uh, the kidney also has some glucokinase activity. But anyways, glucokinase gives you more of a curvilinear, almost a sigmoidal curve, which means it's likely allosterically regulated, and indeed it is. So glucokinase, it takes more glucose to get to half maximal activity. So you have to get up to about 10 millimolar glucose concentration to have only half of the relative enzyme activity that you would with hexokinase. And so that means that glucokinase only functions at higher glucose concentrations. Now, this is important so that the liver doesn't compete for circulating blood glucose. So the glucokinase then will not start taking up glucose in the liver. That is, start phosphorylating it. And once you phosphorylate it, you've essentially trapped the glucose for some metabolism before the phosphatase will allow the glucose to be re-released, such as during gluconeogenesis, when the liver is doing the opposite of what it's doing when it's glycolytic, right? So that means that that glucokinase reaction is really important because at high circulating glucose levels, the liver will be an importing organ for that blood-derived glucose, such decreasing the possibility of hyperglycemia, which is associated, of course, with a major disease of ours called diabetes. Right. 
So an interesting aspect of glucokinase is that there is a protein which will bind to it called the RP, and the RP will bind to glucokinase when glucose levels get, um, well, when glucose levels are really high, what will happen is the inactive glucokinase uh, RP, now that RP is a protein that will bind to the enzyme glucokinase and restrict its mobility to the nucleus. That's right. Glycolysis occurs in the cytoplasm. So what is the enzyme glucokinase doing in the nucleus? Well, it has actually has a couple of interesting roles there that we'll talk about later when we get into allosteric regulation and at the level of, yep, epigenetic changes uh, in the nucleus and alteration of chromatin remodeling, thus altering gene expression because of that interaction. But again, with high levels of glucose, what will happen is that the glucokinase RP, uh, that again, the RP is the protein that binds to it, will release the glucokinase from the nucleus and allow it to be active. That will, of course, allow for glycolysis to function at high glucose levels. Remember, this is hepatic, it's happening in the liver. And you'll ultimately make first glucose 6-phosphate, then fructose 6-phosphate. That fructose 6-phosphate, if it builds up, will be a positive allosteric regulator for taking glucokinase and reassociating it with the RP protein and putting it back in the nucleus, okay? So this is how the curve is saturatable and also functionally related to glucose concentration, both extracellular and intracellular into the hepatocyte. You build up fructose 6-phosphate, you not metabolize that any further, what you're going to do is inactivate glucokinase. Now, if you're building a fructose 6-phosphate, that means that the glycolytic pathway is being slowed down. If, that mean, if that's occurring, it means that we no longer need to phosphorylate the glucose. It's a way of regulating that rheostat, which is functioning at high glucose levels. Now, an interesting side effect of all this, if you take in fructose, which of course, high fructose sugars, which are of course sucrose containing, and the translocatable sugar in plants is sucrose, which is a disaccharide of glucose and fructose. That's what sucrose is. So if you're taking high levels of fructose and the, uh, the enzymatic conversion of sucrose to glucose plus fructose, free fructose will be phosphorylated to fructose one phosphate, not fructose six phosphate, therefore bypassing glycolysis and going rather through fructolysis, fructose one phosphate will ultimately be converted to pyruvate. That pyruvate made by bypassing all the regulation in the intermediate steps of glycolysis <clears throat> can be then rapidly converted to acetyl-CoA and OAA and that will lead to citric acid synthesis in the mitochondria and the buildup of NADH because of the high level of functioning of not only the glycolytic pathway producing a lot of NADH, but also the potential for beta oxidation of fatty acids generating NADH will inhibit the TCA cycle. And in so doing that citrate 
will be will be converted to acetyl-CoA and oxalacetic acid in the cytoplasm via citrate ATP uh, lyase. So that lyase reaction will synthesize OAA and acetyl-CoA into the cytoplasm. Now, what's interesting about that is the OAA can be go on to make glucose, but the acetyl-CoA in the cytoplasm will go on to be lipogenic, either for fatty acid synthesis or for cholesterologenesis. This is why high levels of fructose increase the amount of lipogenesis directly. So the less fructose in the diet, the less bypassing of the regulatory components of glycolysis, for example, PFK1, PFK2, the gap dehydrogenase, the pyruvate kinase, to name three, uh, it'll bypass all that nice regulation that occurs because of mitochondrial control over respiration. And that means that you will convert fructose directly into triacylglycerol, which is then transported via lipoproteins from the liver directly to depot fat, to visceral fat. This is one of the ways that high fructose increases the amount of lipogenesis and, and the increase in depot fat, particularly visceral fat, that can be harmful because it can generate obesity. Okay. So <clears throat> remember the glucose 6-phosphate, because of the reaction of glucose 6-phosphatase, will make uh, faithfully, right, um, free glucose, and that will leave the liver. So now we're at the point where I could stop. We've kind of finished off on glycolysis. I told you some interesting aspects of organic chemistry, uh, some interesting aspects of regulation of the glucokinase. And I'm going to stop here because that's all the time we have for right now. This is Dr. Dan Guerra, of course, saying that I'm doing bio authentic biochemistry because I have nothing better to do. And on a Friday afternoon, bye for now.